This is The Guardian. Today, the lawsuit trying to make projects that'll destroy the climate illegal. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In the rural American state of Montana, over the past week, a small, elegant courtroom has been the scene of a historic trial. It has these incredible high, ornate ceilings, and it was packed, especially on the first day, in large part with kids. Taking up the first two rows uh, of seating in the courtroom, which, which has seats that are sort of like church pews. Dana Noor has been there, covering it for The Guardian. In the jury box, uh, which is also sort of set up like a like church pews, there was media from all over the country. There was such a, an incredible energy walking into the courtroom each day. Um, you could feel the kids kind of buzzing with excitement as you walked past them. The people bringing the case are children and young people who say the adults running their state have a legal obligation to maintain a healthy climate. Day after day, on the stand, they've been telling the court those adults have failed. The thing that stuck with me most was the sheer number of stories that illustrated the way that the climate crisis was impacting all these young people. But I guess one that I've been thinking about a lot is uh, the testimony from uh, a teenage girl. Her name is Grace Gibson Snyder. I have grown up, you know, at least for the last five or six years, knowing that the future of the places that I love and the future of my health and those of the people that the people that I love is in question. And I think my presenting emotion about that is a fear of loss. And she has recently gone away to college, but you can tell from the way that she speaks that she loves Montana. I mean, she speaks about Montana as though it's the greatest uh, place in the world. Um, She speaks with such love about its beautiful landscapes and things like this. And I I felt myself really just like completely floored by her eloquence in speaking about uh, the beauty of this land. And also about how nervous she is about the future of this land. She, She even at one point said... Um, you know, I, I want to have children. I've dreamed of having children, having a family and raising them in this place. But because of the climate crisis and what it's doing to these lands that I grew up loving so much, I don't know if I can ethically or morally have children. I'm not sure if I can morally or ethically have children of my own. 
in a state where the fossil fuel industry has traditionally enjoyed huge influence, a unique lawsuit is trying to do what politicians and activists so far haven't been able to, to make clear that projects that exacerbate the climate crisis are a crime against future generations. And now those generations are suing over it. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, taking the climate crisis to court, the case of held against Montana. Donna, tell me what this case is actually about. So this is, uh, it's a really historic case because it's the first constitutional climate trial in U.S. history. And the case was brought in 2020 by these 16 young people who at the time ranged from, I think, 2 to 18. So a pretty wide variety of of children. All of them live in Montana. And and it was brought under essentially the state's constitution. A landmark climate case years in the making is just getting underway today in Montana. 16 young people ranging in age from 5 to 22 are suing the state. They're saying the state government is failing to protect them from climate change. Donna, one question I have is, why is this taking place in Montana and not states that are known to be more progressive on environmental issues like California or Oregon or Washington? Why Montana? So the reason that this case is possible to bring in Montana is because Montana's constitution, the state constitution, actually guarantees the right to a clean and healthful environment. And that's a direct quote, a clean and healthful environment. Um, And that provision has been around since the 1970s. Essentially, in 1972, Montana had a constitutional convention wherein they brought delegates from around the state um, of all different sort of ages uh, and backgrounds. They brought them together to write a new constitution. And the incredible thing is that it not only is one of the only constitutions in the U.S. to guarantee these environmental rights, um, but it also makes all of these inalienable rights available to not only adults over the age of 18, but also to young people, also for present and future generations, which was something that a lot of these kids sort of mentioned. And up to this point, how has that amendment been used? What kinds of consequences has it had in Montana? At the trial, the first expert witness to testify was a woman who, at the time of that constitutional convention in the 70s, was the youngest delegate Um, And so she spoke about, you know, the sort of the the fight to get those provisions worked into the Constitution. Up until now, you know, there has not been a lot of legal action that has been sort of brought under these particular provisions. She spoke about how she wanted to ensure that, you know, because this was a Constitution, that that there was this sort of option of of legal action if these rights were being uh, violated in any way. Um, and to my understanding, this is actually the first lawsuit to do that in, in decades, which is, which is pretty wild to think about. Donna, for listeners who haven't been to Montana, what kind of state is that like? like what does it look like to be there? Montana is really known, it's really renowned for its, uh, for its beauty. You know, it's a, a part of Yellowstone National Park crosses through Montana, which is, you know, one of the most astounding <laughs> national parks in the U.S., full of different kinds of landscapes from, you know, mountains to these kind of wild rock formations. Glacier National Park is also known for, you know, as you might have guessed, its glaciers, which of course are melting more quickly now due to climate change. It's known for really unique ecosystems. You know, there are animals like the pika, which is a really tiny, adorable rodent um, found in places like Glacier National Park. 
Having the case brought in a state like that, I think, shows the consequences of the climate crisis laid bare because you can see these incredible renowned ecosystems changing so rapidly. told us about Grace Gibson-Snyder. Who were some of the other kids involved in this lawsuit? Yeah, so the the named plaintiff in the case, Ricky Held, who's the oldest plaintiff, um, is a young woman, I think she's now in her early 20s, who grew up on a ranch uh, in Broadus, Montana. So a really sprawling sort of a uh, place filled with filled with ranches, not a lot of sort of industry around, um, a place where people feel really connected to the land as she uh, as she spoke so eloquently about on the stand. Um, and she spoke about the way that the climate crisis is, you know, affecting water patterns on the ranch, uh, making it really hard to, for instance, get water for cattle, uh, making it hard to do work outside due to wildfire smoke. There were several plaintiffs who have asthma that has been either caused or at the very least exacerbated by exposure to wildfire smoke. Another plaintiff who's gotten quite a lot of attention is a a young teenage boy named Micah, who is a runner. He loves running. He runs competitively. Um, He said he runs to to clear his mind and to help with his anxiety and has found that he is not able to run because he has asthma. And in, in wildfire smoke, it's really dangerous for a young person to Uh, to exert themselves in that way outside. There are several plaintiffs in the case who are indigenous, um, and they're members of tribes who also spoke about the ways that the climate crisis is sort of threatening their cultural practices, whether that's um, particular fruits and and berries that can be found outside uh, that are growing on a different schedule now, um, thanks to changes in rainfall and and dryness and things like this, um, or whether that's the ability to perform these kind of um, very aerobic dances uh, in the way that their sort of heritage uh, has taught them to to do for generations. One really moving moment from the first week was hearing actually from uh, two of the plaintiff's fathers, um, Shane Doyle, who has these two daughters, Ruby and Lillian, who are both teenagers and are both plaintiffs in the case. Um, and they are members of the Crow people. Uh, one of his two daughters, the elder one, has asthma, so he's particularly concerned about the impacts of her kind of doing this really aerobic dancing outside uh, during heat and smoke. Um, And so, you know, to hear that there's not only sort of medical and physical consequences, um, and and frankly, not even just sort of mental health consequences, but also these deep spiritual consequences to the effects of climate change was really just just really disheartening uh, and pretty disturbing, frankly. I mean, he said that he could imagine that not being able to participate in these um, in these cultural traditions um, and be connected to your heritage in some way felt like a kind of trauma for these girls. He said, it's a traumatic loss. Um, and, you know, I think some people might hear that and think that it's a bit dramatic. But if you think about how important it really is to be connected to your culture, especially when so many other things in sort of dominant culture are forcing you in the other direction, I think it's really right. It can feel like a kind of trauma to lose that history. And you said that one of the children involved in this case became involved when they were two years old. Like, how do kids of that age get involved in a lawsuit like this one? Yeah, so, I mean, you have to assume that in the case of especially a two-year-old, their parents were um, a big help, to say the least. Probably, yeah. Which is the case, I think, with, with a number of these kids. You know, a number of these kids were, were at the very least, sort of encouraged um, in, in, a way, in a way that was really helpful to them by their parents. But, but the lawsuit was brought uh, in 2020 by this nonprofit law firm called Our Children's Trust. 
And they identified kids who had in some way been involved uh, in climate activism, whether that's sort of engaging in these sort of Greta Thunberg style school strikes um, or, uh, you know, kind of working on after school projects, um, doing protest movements, petitions and things like this. Um, and so that's how they came together, essentially, is that this the opportunity was provided by this law firm. Um, but now it's I mean, it's pretty incredible to see how they have really become their own sort of spokespeople. You know, it's really scary seeing what you care for disappear right in front of your eyes. How does it make you feel knowing that the state is not considering climate impacts in its permitting decisions? Makes me feel like the state is prioritizing profits over people um, because they know that there is visible harm coming to the land and to the people, and they're still choosing to make money instead of care for Montanans. So what are the people bringing this case, the children and the young people, actually asking the court to do? It's interesting. The case doesn't really include any monetary damages. There's no sort of money at, at the end of the, the pipe for these kids. What, what the judge has said that the outcome could be if it's favourable is a declaratory statement. Um, so essentially, the judge could say, these kids are right, these lawyers are right, uh, the way that the state of Montana has perpetuated the fossil fuel economy is in fact in violation of, the clean, of a clean and healthful environment um, as, as guaranteed in the Constitution. Yeah, um, I wasn't born here, but Montana is my home now. I've been here for over 20 years, and um, my daughter was born, was born and raised here in Montana. Um, On the second day of the trial, I had the chance to catch up with one of the attorneys representing the plaintiffs, her name is Barbara Chilcott, and she works with the Western Environmental Law Center, which is one of the uh, smaller law firms that's working on the case. And she spoke to me about how moving it is for her to sort of be talking to these kids on the stand when she herself has a teenage daughter. She has a teenage daughter who she's also really concerned won't get to experience the Montana that she loves due to the effects of the climate crisis. Um, yeah, it, it makes me worried for my own, uh, my own daughter and my own uh, future here in the state. Absolutely. Can I ask how old your daughter is? She's 14. You know, what has stood out to me for the past two days and really since I've been working on this case is the sincerity um, at which these plaintiffs feel and uh, believe that climate change is occurring and that there is hope for the future. I just feel so much in my heart, like how I hope that their hope will be um, will be met, and um, that we will continue to, um, you know, make progress in mitigating climate change. And are there particular laws that would be vulnerable if the kids win, and the judge says yes, some of Montana's policies go against this guarantee of a clean and healthful environment, and are therefore unconstitutional? So the, the case as it was originally written uh, went after these two particular Montana statutes um, and said that both of them were unconstitutional. So the first one, the state, the statewide energy production and uh, and use provision that that's called the state energy policy, was actually repealed this session by Republican lawmakers um, in what the the plaintiffs' lawyers basically say was like a thinly veiled attempt to kill the case. So they got rid of it, which did sort of narrow the scope of the of the trial. 
Um, but the other statute, the Montana Environmental Policy Act, is also really interesting because in 2011, there was an amendment that was drawn up that essentially prohibited the state from considering certain what it said were global environmental impacts. So let me see if I get this straight. In Montana, if somebody wants to set up some big project, they can consider every environmental consequence except for climate change. Correct. Correct. Exactly. And is that, so the, the 2011 version of this policy didn't make that 100% clear. Um, and in fact, there was a lawsuit recently where a judge said, actually, you know, it, it, climate change is not just a sort of global impact. It's one that can be seen locally. And so maybe that provision doesn't actually stop you from considering climate change. But then this year, Republican lawmakers turned around and said, actually, never mind, we're not going to allow for that to go through. And they specifically this year, they made it specifically so that the state cannot consider how its energy economy might contribute to climate change specifically. Hmm. So greenhouse gas emissions cannot be considered in whether or not, for instance, um, a new coal or, or gas plant or something like this is constructed. That's incredible. That's that's almost impossible to believe. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild. You said that this was an unprecedented case. So do we know exactly what these children and these young people need to persuade the judge of to to actually win the case? Essentially, the case hinges on this idea of whether or not climate change is uh, an aspect of a healthy environment, whether or not uh, the state's contributions to climate change um, are threatening that right to a clean and healthful environment. Um, And specifically, as it pertains to the Montana Environmental Policy Act, Um, whether or not it's okay for the state to um, continue to permit fossil fuel projects with no consideration for their climate impacts, and whether or not that is in violation of their constitutional right to a clean and healthful environment. And is the case built on the testimony of the kids alone, which is incredibly powerful, or are there other people testifying? So in addition to hearing uh, testimony from a lot of the youth, there have also been expert witnesses who have testified. And so, for instance, we've heard from a number of climate experts whose research has shown the direct sort of warming effects of the usage of fossil fuels. Based on the evidence you've seen, does it point to harm for these youth plaintiffs? Harm now and accelerating harm in the future. We've also heard from folks like uh, doctors and psychiatrists on the stand who have spoken about the specific ways that a warming planet can affect children, both because their sort of smaller bodies are more vulnerable to these sort of health impacts and because their young minds are really vulnerable to the trauma that can come from something like witnessing an environmental disaster. Um, And in addition to this, uh, from experts who speak about the potential for Montana to actually transition to uh, renewable energy. Uh, The answer can instead be, you know, Montana can continue to be a real contributor to the energy economy, but it has potential to do so in a way that prioritizes things like solar and wind. Who's on the other side of this case? Who's representing the state of Montana in court? And what have they been arguing? You know, one big thing that the state's attorneys have sort of said is, that climate change is a global problem. And that means that essentially Montana can't really fix it. They even at one point, um, the assistant attorney general who gave the opening statements for the defendants said, Montana's emissions are so minuscule. He used the word minuscule um, that he said, it's essentially relegated to the role of a spectator. 
which is, you know, you know, inside the, the difficult part of this is that, of course, Montana is a small contributor to climate change, all things considered. I mean, it's not that small. Um, as we heard from some of the expert witnesses, its emissions footprint is actually larger than some countries, which is pretty incredible. Um, but, you know, it's true that the Montana energy economy is not the only thing that has to transition and, and make some huge changes if we're going to avert a climate catastrophe. The problem is that if it's everyone's problem, right, then it's really no one's problem. You have to start somewhere. Um, and their kind of emphasis on the smallness of Montana's role, I think, um, is pretty clearly being used in a way to deflect responsibility to anyone else. And if everyone does that, we're never going to fix the problem. Coming up, could these kids win the case? And what happens if they do? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. So, Donna... How has this case been received in Montana itself? Like, what do people think of the fact that their state is the place where this landmark court case is playing out? Montana is a very interesting place because it has both a really staunch right wing, clearly. You know, it's mostly a red state. There are very few uh, Democrats in office throughout the state But it also has this really strong history of conservation and essentially what we now call environmental justice. And so, you know, while I think there's been a lot of sort of attacks on the case uh, throughout Montana from, you know, folks who basically disagree with his argument altogether, there's also been a lot of really strong supporters walking around Helena, uh, the capital city of Montana, where the case is being heard. You see signs and windows all over towns and coffee shops and restaurants and little shops 
that are showing their support for these youth plaintiffs. I think there's a lot of pride in sort of being a part of history in this particular way, especially because, you know, again, even though it's the capital city of Montana, Helena is a pretty small town. It's one that's usually out of the sort of uh, media's eye. And I think that, you know, having such attention brought um, to Helena for such an exciting reason has really energized a lot of people throughout the town. Why did you decide to come out early today to, to support? I'm here this morning to support these young people because I believe in what they're doing and I believe in how they're doing it and taking it to this, to, at this angle, this degree. And I hope the nation hears. I hope, I hope other youth hears. And what about the kids themselves? What kind of impact has it had on them to be at the centre of a case that's getting global attention? I think it's had a huge impact in ways that I think many, many of the ways are positive. Um, you know, a lot of the kids talked about how empowering it felt to be able to stand up for themselves and to be able to have such a platform. What do your parents think, Micah? At first, they were kind of skeptical because, you know, it's kind of weird to let your, at the time I was 11, join a lawsuit against the state of Montana. So I'd say they were more actually against me joining it, not because they disagreed with the case at all, Mm. but just because they weren't sure if it was the right thing for an 11-year-old to do. So I convinced my parents to, you know, let me join the case. And and frankly, you know, even if the the verdict is um, not as favorable as they hope, many of them have said that it already feels like a victory to have the case brought to trial. Um, I do think that there is another, a, a sort of darker aspect of this, though, which some of the kids alluded to a little bit, which is, I think, when we put the sort of onus for, uh, you know, tackling the climate crisis onto children, we're really shouldering them with a lot of responsibility. Um, one thing that really stood out to me is that a number of the plaintiffs said, there are other things that I would like to be doing, um, but I, I feel such a deep responsibility and such a deep, uh, you know, sense of sort of obligation to focus my life on the climate crisis, uh, which is, you know, both really inspiring to hear from these little kids, but but also it's pretty depressing in some ways to think, um, you know, you, you're up all night, uh, you're kind of racked with this deep sense of dread and this deep sense of obligation that you can't get out of. It's impeding your ability to just go out and be a kid. One of the youth plaintiffs, um, a teenage boy named Badge, uh, who was actually named for this beautiful green swath of land near Glacier National Park called the Badger to Medicine. Um, he spoke about actually kind of negative impacts um, that, that he's faced because of his involvement in the case. Um, he said that, uh, you know, in speaking about his involvement in the case and, and climate change more broadly at school, he faced a lot of pushback from kids who either don't believe that climate change is real or at the very least don't believe that it's a crisis, um, who find it kind of embarrassing that he's involved in this case. He even said that uh, one of his closest friends, he used the word ghosted, he said one of his closest friends actually ghosted him after a particularly heated argument about the climate crisis. And so, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what it feels like to be a teenager already sort of dealing with all of these incredible social pressures in school and have that sort of layer on top of it where you've really gone out on a limb and made your ideologies public for the world to see. Hmm, That's really terrible and definitely not what kids were teased about when I was at school. Dana, this trial ended yesterday, but when can we expect a verdict? It could take a few weeks at least for a verdict to to come down. Um, The judge doesn't have a particular deadline that she has to work on, um, but the, the plaintiffs are really hoping and their lawyers are really hoping that it'll be fairly quickly. And if they do win, what could that mean? 
if they win, it essentially means that the judge has declared um, a particular policy in Montana that's really uh, sort of had a lot to do with the promotion of fossil fuels in the state unconstitutional. She can't directly mm. say you need to repeal this policy, but she can say it's unconstitutional. And if you don't repeal it, then you are in violation of the state's constitution, which could amount to some pretty major action. I mean, that would be an incredible result for these children, basically, succeeding in changing the law of, of their state. Absolutely. Yeah. For, for these children, I think, I mean, it, the, the fact of them bringing the case in the first place has clearly been so empowering for so many of them. If they're able as young people to change the law, even though many of them are not even old enough to vote, yeah, it would be a really, really incredible outcome. And of course, we're talking here about the law in one state, but could there be knock-on consequences for other states? Yeah, definitely. So in terms of like the technical legal precedent, that will only apply within Montana's borders. Uh, it's a it's a state case, and so the legal precedent will not apply to the rest of the United States. However, there could definitely be knock-on consequences in other places. One thing I think we're sure to see, um, honestly, just because of the success of this case going to trial in the first place, but especially if they get a favorable verdict, is that more youth in more states will try to bring cases like this. There are already a handful of other states where there are pending lawsuits, in some cases based on specifically environmental rights in constitutions. And there's also a federal case, which is maybe the most famous, Juliana versus U.S. Um, and that case was brought in 2015. And actually, just uh, just a few weeks ago, it was announced that that case is also going to go to trial. And so I think that many of those kids are really looking to Montana for inspiration, um, you know, to learn how to testify in a courtroom like this, to learn how to deal with that kind of media attention, and to learn how, frankly, to prepare for any sort of outcome, whether it's favorable or not, and be able to, to sort of use it towards, you know, building a better future, whether or not the judge sort of says that they're right. You've said that we're in uncharted territory here, but when you speak to legal experts, people who watch these kinds of cases closely, do they think these kids in Montana have a chance of winning? The hard thing about uh, determining the viability of this case is that the people who are speaking about it um, the most openly, of course, are the kids and the lawyers, um, right? The plaintiffs in the case and their lawyers, um, who I think genuinely are optimistic, but it would be kind of wild for them to, to say that they're not. Um, that said, I've talked to other legal experts who have said they do have a case. I mean, they've said that this is a really, really innovative um, and kind of genius legal strategy and one that really does have some viability. It really does have the potential to win. it says about the place we are in the fight against the climate crisis that now one of the most hopeful things we're seeing is children people who will inherit this world we've created taking it upon themselves to directly challenge laws themselves i mean in one way of course incredible to see young people standing up for themselves in this way incredible to see young people educating themselves this way and um, you know, and, and really kind of using uh, a frankly esoteric piece of law and a really esoteric legal strategy uh, to bring about the change that people have been trying to bring about for, for decades or even a century, really. Um, in another way, it's kind of disheartening to think that adults have failed these kids so badly that they feel like they have to take 
it into their own hands and not into their own hands in a way that kind of that you would imagine a kid would have fun doing. It's not about, um, you know, making posters in your living room after school or or holding a rally at your high school or something like this. The fact that they have to be involved in legal action, I think, really says a lot about how deeply we've failed. Donna, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that was Dana Noor, who spoke to us from Helena, Montana, which has been following this trial as part of a Guardian series called Big Oil Uncovered, which reports on efforts to hold the fossil fuel industry and its enablers accountable for the climate crisis. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Alex Atak. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. And we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.